The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Chuck, I think we finally got a pretty good week. Uh, By my count, if you like comebacks, right? Because by my count, there were, what, four games, I think, that had at least a 21, a team nearly blow a 21-point lead. Uh, The Bucks were up uh, by 21 points for the Bills, and that game went to OT. Dallas was up 24-0 at halftime, only won 27-20 against the football team. Browns beat the Ravens 24-22 after being up 21-0. And then it all started last Thursday with a 24-point lead, almost getting blown by the Vikings. Uh, so, like, there was some exciting football, right? Was, was this a good week, you think? Yeah, it was. Other it was, games, too. Rams, uh, Rams, Cardinals, to finish it up, was good. That was a great game. Niners, Bengals. Yeah, there was some good football. Yeah, it was it was a nice change up from uh, the last couple of weeks, which had been a uh, pretty boring. Um, you know, we we got to laugh at some teams uh, this past week because like the bad teams in the NFL are looking really really bad. Like I don't think there's any reason for uh, a team to get blanked by this Titans team in the current state. <laughs> That's exactly what happened to the Jaguars, and we'll get to that later. But yeah, uh, yeah it was actually you know on, on a on just looking at like good things that happened and bad things that happened this past week it was actually a pretty interesting uh uh week in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot uh, a lot of good stuff to talk about. Uh we are going to uh we're going to talk about the four verts uh, as we always do your your weekly column. This week it looks at only four teams in the NFL have been officially eliminated and you are sort of tracing their paths forward. And it's going to be, I think, a really fascinating discussion because it's a look at sort of team building philosophies and organizational philosophies. And they all stand like somewhere a little bit different. And some of them have similar things like they're probably going to be vying for some of the same wide receivers to try to help their young quarterbacks uh, improve. But then others are just, you know, two of them, uh, at least two of them have coaching situations that really you feel like maybe might not last one being worse than the other. But, uh, you know, I'm excited to dig in on that. Then we're going to talk about some of these close games, some some of the bigger games for this weekend and really focus in on what we learned. Uh, you know, that Bucks bills game is a great football game. Um, but what do we take out of it? You know, what the, do we put more weight in the Bucks ultimately getting the win? Uh, or do we, put more weight in the bills struggling the way they did to, to keep up, uh, you know, so we're going to go through those games and sort of see where it points us for uh, looking at the playoffs. We're, we're heading into week 15, which uh, you know, it, it's a little, it's a little weird to, to be heading into week 15 and, and not be uh, sort of anywhere close to really done uh, because of the extra week this year. And, you know, the playoffs are still wide open. You know, I'm sure you've seen on Twitter, the, the playoff percentages uh, charts going out and there, you know, there's still a bunch of teams with a really good chance to, to make the playoffs. So it's, it, it feels like it's late in the season, but it's not as late as it usually is. So there's a lot of, a lot of the uh, sort of room for movement there. But one thing I think we have to talk about is that uh, this pandemic is still going on. Apparently. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's it's roaring up a little in NFL cities. The uh, the Browns, we we were trying to track this before we we started recording, and we can't even really keep up. The Browns. So the latest Baker Mayfield has tested positive for COVID nineteen, uh, as has Browns coach Kevin Stefanski. 
Um, so they would need to have two negative tests by Saturday in order to be able to play against Vegas. The Browns beat the Ravens. The Browns now uh, have a pretty clear path to winning the AFC North if they can just hold on. That that uh, that division has just become an absolute quagmire of teams just trying to muddle through injury and bad decisions and just trying to find a way to make it. Uh, but they also, so here's who else is on that list. Uh, John Johnson, uh, Troy Hill, Malik McDowell. Uh, they're all defensive starters. And then on Tuesday, they added Jarvis Landry, uh, guard Wyatt Teller, tight end Austin Hooper and left tackle Dredrick Willis Jr. Um, then there are a bunch of other guys on there too. So, the Browns have a COVID outbreak, right? Uh, very clearly. And now the question is, I mean, what happens next? Uh, like what is, if, if COVID rages through this league, what happens? Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you one thing that I've seen that might happen next. Uh, this is from uh, Mark Mask of the Washington Post. Uh, the NFL is considering a protocol tweak that would allow vaccinated asymptomatic players who test positive for coronavirus to return to team activities sooner. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> so it seems like they're going uh, the route of, well, if we just don't test as much, uh, maybe we'll be fine. But, you know, as we all know, as we enter uh, year three of the pandemic, asymptomatic people can absolutely transfer coronavirus. And just because they aren't sick doesn't mean that they should be around uh, a bunch of people. And yes, obviously the vaccine helps with uh, stuff like transmission. I would know because I was uh, directly exposed to COVID about a month ago, but I'm vaccinated, didn't test positive at all. It's totally fine. Uh, but still, maybe we should uh, reconsider this as a solution to the NFL's problems. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I don't think that that's the avenue you need to go on. I think if you're going to do this, you might just have to suck it up and either postpone games or play without some of your top players. Yeah. Uh, you're right, because there's no wiggle room in the schedule this year at all. Like last year, they, they there was like a little bit built in where they could maybe move games and delay things if they needed to. I mean, this year is already the Super Bowl is pushed. What is it? February 11th? Like it's well into February. Uh, we are stretching things already as it is. So there's not much room, it appears, to cancel games. Not much appetite from what we can read from the league to do that. Uh so, you know, and there's no like all these leagues have these uh, restrictions on how many players a, a team can have on the roster. And, and you know, that's all tied to the CBA. And, uh, you know, it's it's a complex formula because the players, the 50, the 53 man roster, those guys all want to get as much money as they can. So they don't want larger rosters. Right. But like this is probably a time they did expand the practice squad. So there are more players sort of milling around NFL uh, facilities these days, but it really is a time where like it would be helpful if they loosened up some of those restrictions and let people get in so that you could put the sick people away from the healthy people and uh, keep it, keep it apart and try to squash these things. But uh, you know, the system's just not built to really work that way right now. Yep, it's not. Uh, and I think that it'd be hard to argue anything else based on what we've seen just in general from society, like over the past few years. So <laughs> I, I'm I'm definitely concerned about this <laughs> NFL COVID outbreak. Uh, I, I 
think that it's all obviously bad, but I also kind of want to see like if it actually does get bad enough to where a team has to uh, exercise uh, or or the league has to exercise like the thing they said where you have to cancel a game and no one gets paid because I just think the fallout of that would be uh, pretty interesting to cover because I don't think that many people will be excited about the prospect of losing a game check, especially if they've been uh, responsible and how they've approached the pandemic and trying to get back to work. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a total mess, not only in the NFL, but the NBA is having a lot of COVID issues too. Right. Uh, the NHL is having a ton of COVID issues too. So, uh, you know, I think this kind of makes sense as we've seen more variants come up and uh, the, uh, you know, ability of those uh, variants to kind of get past vaccines and still infect people and their transmissions level are a lot higher. So uh, this kind of tracks with what's going on in normal society. And I guess all I really have left to say is I, I hope we do something about it, but uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure that we will. <laughs> get it together, society. That's yeah, let's, our- let's, let's stop the deadly disease instead of encouraging it to continue to kill us. <laughs> that's our, our message. Yeah. I mean, I can't, there's, there's an Olympics coming. Like it's, it's so, you know, it feels like we just finished the summer Olympics and now oh, yeah, the winter Olympics of- coming in China, uh, which, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know why we're having an Olympics in China. That's like a whole different discussion, but uh I mean, we uh, we're just plowing ahead, man. We're just we're just going forward with it. Uh, yep. Sort of how it goes. Uh, and this is a funny quote from uh, one of my this older guy that I know, Calvin Watkins, who covers the uh, Cowboys for the Dallas Morning News. Right. You said, uh, given the rise in COVID nineteen cases across the country, in NFL. Uh, running back Ezekiel Elliott was asked, "Would he curtail going to the Mavs Liquor game tonight?" And he said, I'm going to the game tonight. So, you know, that, that's kind of right there. Is he going to wear a mask? I Do they even have I masks in Texas? I think. I, even- I don't know. Yeah, that's funny because one of my coworkers, when, uh, <laughs> when one of my former coworkers at the Daily News, when he was covering the uh, – the World Series that they had in Texas last year for the shortened season. <laughs> he said that he got off the plane and was like milling around, uh, you know, either in Houston or Dallas, and someone yelled at him across the street to take his mask off. So <laughs> I'm interested to see like what's uh, what's going on there tonight, and I'm sure we'll see uh, pictures of Zeke at the uh, the game, considering how many players in the NFL have tested positive for COVID recently. Oh man, yeah, I mean, and it's. We're like, it's it's frustrating because we're building toward an interesting end of the season. Like, we've been talking about it for a few weeks now. Like, I'm not sure we loved adding an extra game. You know, like, that's not not a great thing for a league where uh, just yesterday it was revealed that a former player who shot six innocent people, including children, um, and then himself had stage two CTE when he was 32 years old. Like it's probably not the greatest look for the league to add another game, but, uh, but it did, you know, it has added some complexity to the end of the season. And, um, you know, now there are probably steps that could have mitigated the, the COVID threat, but now here it is. And it's, you know, it's, it's going to impact like it very well could impact, whether or not the Cleveland Browns, the poor Cleveland Browns, who finally made the playoffs again last year, uh, could miss it this year because, you know, they weren't willing to take a little bit more of a harder stance on not getting um, not getting close to COVID or finding ways to, to stay away from it. So it's yep. a little frustrating. Um, all right. Let's talk about this week's four verts. 
my favorite NFL column. Um, like I said, this is you looking ahead at the four teams that have already been eliminated. So that's the Texans, Jets, Jags, and Lions. Uh, yep. So, uh, yeah, as I said, I just love this as an exercise. It just gives us a chance to sort of take a, a bigger look at how you build a successful NFL team. Uh, what do you start with? What are the building blocks? Uh, let's just go right in on the Jaguars because that's where you start. And it's a huge story again this weekend. Uh, Urban Meyer, just like, I, 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 you know, he just doesn't even look like he cares at all. Uh, yeah. I mean, it looks I, like I knew he was not going to like coaching in the NFL. I mean, you know, I've, I wrote I've written probably 15 columns about this, that this is not a guy who wants to be questioned. This is not a guy who thinks that there are peers in the locker room that are as smart as him or that he needs to respect them. Like this is a guy who he's a college football coach. Like he thrives on this idea that he is the only person in the room who really matters. Uh, that is like. We've seen it play out now. He's belittling his assistants. He's terrible with the players. You know, he just, he, this whole thing about him, like talking to his assistants, like, oh, I'm a winner. When have you ever won anything? You know, like this is stuff that just cannot work in the NFL. This is why, like when we rail about college sports, this is like, it's so weird. Uh, it's just such a power imbalance. Um, and Urban Meyer has not handled it at all. Um, and so you're talking, but, but the, the owner of the Jags is come out and preached patience. He wants to wait to see, doesn't want to rush to judgment. Cause he's, I mean, apparently he's been wanting urban Meyer to be his coach for years now and he finally got the deal done. So he wants to pause, but you are calling for an end and you have just a totally fascinating, uh, replacement in mind. Uh, and I, I love this idea. Yeah, I think for the Jaguars, it just kind of makes sense culturally and just on the field just to go after uh, Byron Lethwich, the offensive coordinator for Tampa Bay. And yeah, so good. Uh, I think Byron is a guy who Bruce Arians said it correctly after the season that Byron's a guy that should have gotten a lot more attention for what the work he did last year uh, in Tampa Bay. Because, you know, I think it's easy to look at Tampa Bay and look at their offensive resurgence and just go, oh, you know, that's Tom Brady coming right. back. You know, you, you, you kind of keep the same uh, touchdown peak as James Winston, but you're not throwing 30 interceptions a year. But I think people need to remember that uh, when Tom got there last year, like the offense did not really uh, hit the ground running. Uh, and I no, think not you all. have, yeah, not at all. Like they were honestly pretty bad at offense to start the season. Uh, and I think when you kind of get into a situation where, you have someone like Tom Brady who likes to play one way, as we saw in uh, New England with, you know, a lot of slots, slot receivers, tight ends that can run after the catch uh, with Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski, Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, uh, Danny Amendola, like the short passes that can turn the long games and kind of like dissecting defenses within that five to 15 area is kind of where Tom Brady liked to play. But, you know, if you're familiar with Bruce Arians offense, right. He's, he's someone who wants to throw the ball 25 40, 50, to 35. <laughs> yeah. And, and even longer than that, like you think right. about the, the quarterbacks that Bruce has coached during his time in the league, Palmer, uh, Palmer Andrew Luck, Ben Roethlisberger. Like right. these are all guys that, uh, you know, at their peaks love to just fling the ball downfield. Now that hasn't really been Tom style uh, really outside of like when he was playing with uh, Randy Moss a bunch and then in the couple of years, like right after that. Uh, and, you know, to get these two hard-headed guys to kind of meet in the middle on offensive philosophy 
And not only that, but like package that into play calling. So the person that's actually on the field feels comfortable with how they're moving forward. You know, that, that's all Byron Leftwich, And he got credit for that from Bruce Arians, but it didn't really uh, turn into head coaching opportunities, which is, could be a whole different podcast uh, on its own. But for the Jaguars, we've just, done that podcast. Yeah, we've, we've done that podcast and a couple times. We're probably yeah. going to do it again. Uh, I don't know. Just, in a couple months. <laughs> I guess it's January. Whenever the, the yes. coaching hires will be done, like January 15th. Yeah. I don't know. So sit, in, a, in about a month, we'll be yeah. right back at it. Uh, but just, just for for Byron, it makes a lot of sense because obviously he played for Jacksonville. Uh, not wasn't the best quarterback for them, but still generally well liked by people in the organization. Uh, the players love him. He's got you know a resume as like legitimately calling plays for a uh, Super Bowl winning offense. He called plays in Arizona too when he was with Bruce Arians uh, and Carson Palmer for a little bit. So you know this isn't some inexperienced guy that is just going to get the job because he has ties to Jacksonville. Like he's actually very qualified for this. Uh, they, I think getting a guy who has experience running successful offenses with a quarterback with a big arm, like Trevor Lawrence, I think that that could be like an easy seamless fit for them. Like it, it to me, <laughs> it makes so much sense that it's probably not going to happen. Uh, and <laughs> you know, I, I think that that left, which would be a slam dunk hire for them just to get, people excited about Jackson football with someone who's like actually super duper qualified to be running for that job. Right. Uh, other fixes that this team needs to make, uh, you know, there are so many holes here. Um, you are looking at with, you know, obviously this team will pick high. It's, it's a weird draft class this year. You know, it's not going to be quarterback dominated like usual. Uh, the rushers are getting a fair, the ed- edge rushers are getting a fair amount of uh, buzz so far. Uh, Evan Neal, Kayvon Thibodeau, Aiden Hutchinson, uh, you know, are guys who could do it on the line um, and probably help this defense because everything needs to be fixed. Uh, but obviously getting um, Lawrence a target is really important. You mentioned trying to poach Chris Godwin. I think uh, Alan Robinson, another graduate of uh, wide receiver, you is also going to be maybe – most people think Devontae Adams will end up back with the Packers, right? Yeah, that's uh, – Or, you know, as, as long as – As long as Aaron Rodgers is still there. Yeah, whatever year. happens with Aaron Rodgers, I guess. Yeah, I, it, which honestly I don't think is off the table like right. whatsoever. Like he may have gone through that big spiel last year. Uh or you know this past off season, but I, I would not be surprised if he's still there next year. Uh, right. So I think with, with the Jaguars, like two guys that I would be going out for free agency. I don't I don't know if Alan Robinson would be uh, willing to come back uh, because I, I think with him he's looking at because he I mean he almost didn't come back to Chicago and it's not like he's had a a really great year. So I, I think he's probably going to go somewhere with maybe a little bit more uh, established quarterback situation Ch- chance to win. Right, a chance to win some games as he, yeah. as he hits like the he starts to hit the end of his career. So I don't know if that's going to be it, but I, I do think that if you're you know a team like Jacksonville or the Jets, and we'll get to them, like Chris Godwin should be at the top of your list for guys you're trying to sign. One because he's more likely to hit the free agency market this year because they already put the franchise tag on him mm-hmm. uh, for this season, and if you do that, if you do that back to back, that's a lot of money for a team and. Uh, I'm not sure if Tampa Bay is going to have like just the resources to get him done uh, with all the other guys that they're still going to have to pay uh, 
in the upcoming years. So, you know, if you can throw a bag at Chris Godwin, get DJ Chark back, like you're already looking at a much better uh, group of receivers than you had this past year. And then, you, you know, you can add someone in the draft or what have you. Or if you don't want to pay for uh, the Chris Godwin check, because that's going to be an expensive one, because I think Chris Godwin's only like 25 still, because uh, he was really young when he got to the league. So, uh, yeah, he, he'll turn 26 in February. Oh, wow. uh, so, you know, that's going to be a pretty big uh, payday for him. And the, the Jaguars, like usual, uh, have a ton of money to spend in free agency. <laughs> but this time, like you actually have a quarterback prospect that's like super worth investing in. Like uh, before the season, I was saying, you know, Jaguars fans, like you should feel differently about this because this isn't a Blake Bortles or a Blaine Gabbert where you kind of have to like convince yourself that this was the right pick to make wherever they went. You know, this was Trevor Lawrence, and right. I think he's shown enough this year to still be really excited about the quarterback he can be, but he needs help, and he's not getting any of that right now. Uh, like, there's a clip in here that I put in the article that my buddy Nate Tice uh, put on Twitter where he's throwing to Tavon Austin in the back of the end zone, and for those of you like maybe aren't familiar, throwing throwing to the back of the end zone, uh, especially like in the in the low red zone, is a pretty tough throw to make because there's just a bunch of bodies condensed into such right. a small area. Especially and, Tavon Austin. He's like right. like five he's, foot five. Yeah, like, he's like five seven, five eight, Baltimore high school football legend, but yeah. he has had the biggest uh impact in the NFL. That's a that's a really tough throw to make. So you still see the high upside stuff with Trevor Lawrence. Uh I, I really don't think he's been nearly as bad as his stats say, just based on watching them, because I did spend some time uh last week slugging through the Jacksonville offense. You know, I decided not to write about it because it's just not really worth the time. But uh, Trevor Lawrence is definitely uh, still a promising prospect. So, you know, get him some help. Uh, get a new head coach in there. I think if you're at the top of the draft, uh, unfortunately, it's not really going to be a big trade down year like this past year was with all the quarterbacks. But, you know, you can pick up a left tackle like Avenue from Alabama. You can pick up a pass rusher like uh, Kivon Thibodeau or uh, – Aiden Hutchinson, who is just at the Heisman ceremony. So, you know, it's still a good place to be if you need trench talent, which the Jaguars absolutely do. Dunbar, uh, Dunbar High School is my favorite football team, by the way. I just wanna just wanna go on the record that the uh, <laughs> the Dunbar poets are. They won the state title again just recently. I'm not surprised. I saw them at the saw them at the Baltimore parade the next day. It was amazing. If you're not familiar, you should definitely go on YouTube and type in Tavon Austin Dunbar High School. Oh my gosh. And yeah. It's it's perhaps the best high school highlight mixtape you will ever see. It's it's insane. It's just insane. All right. So the Lions are next on your list. And this is a totally different team building uh, sort of situation. I'm not going to say strategy because it's it's not like they had the choice to pick Trevor Lawrence. Like if you have if you get the chance to pick Trevor Lawrence, you pick him and you say he's our guy and that's how we're going to build our team. Uh, the Lions could have picked a, a quarterback, but they uh, decided they had traded Matthew Stafford, got golf, and they decided to go uh, offensive line instead. Um, you know, so they're in a totally sort of different situation. But they, unlike the Jaguars, appear to have a coach who is capable of building a winning culture. We've been we've talked about it many times now that, uh, you know, just what ha- what is happening in in Detroit should inspire some confidence that eventually when this team has good pieces those pieces will uh be put in a system that is good for them and they will play hard uh so like we have that but what the lions don't have is a clear path to a real um franchise quarterback 
you know, both in the sense of a guy who can really elevate his teammates. We know Jared Goff can't really do that, but also a guy who's cheap because Jared Goff costs a lot of money right now. And it really hamstrings their ability to uh, to build up around him. So they are on just like a different timeline. Uh, they are going to be probably picking uh, players to build up because there's no quarterback in this draft that I mean, I don't know how much you've looked at it, but from what I've seen, there's no quarterback really worth picking in this draft and saying, yeah, 100%. This is our guy. Um, so this is it's just a totally different situation, right? They're building up and and might be bad again next year and hope that the 2023 draft delivers them their guy. And then they already have sort of the culture in place and they have some supporting pieces in place. And that guy is ready to hit it from year one. Cause that's, that's the thing with the Jaguars. They just wasted a year of, of Trevor Lawrence. Like there's just absolutely wasted a year of, uh, you, you know, one of the best quarterback prospects we've ever seen. The lions are working on a different timeline. What do you see them needing to do in the near term? Uh, I I think for them, you just kind of got to keep building out the rest of the team because, you know, I, I think that, you know, kind of like the Falcons and some other teams like the Panthers too, uh, you, you missed an opportunity to get a franchise quarterback, but for a team in as bad a state as they are, I, I get why you don't, you don't pull the trigger on that pick right then. But, you know, you, you've got a base of, of what uh, a, what we know like decent teams can look like at least they they do have what at least next year they shouldn't have you know three high level starters on the offensive line with Taylor Decker at left tackle uh Panesu at right tackle and then Frank Ragno is going to be coming back from a toe injury uh and when he's healthy he's one of the best centers in the league so like mm. you've got three offensive linemen which honestly that's a lot more than most teams can say right now uh in, in the NFL three high level starters Three first round picks. They all seem to be working out so far. Uh, you know, I, I don't think anyone should be surprised that uh, Panay Sewell has gotten a lot better as the year has gone on, just based on how highly he touted he was as a, as a prospect. And you know, if, if you sit out a year uh, getting ready for the draft, then you move from left tackle to right tackle. You might have some bumps early, right. which he did. Yep. Uh, but lately, like you're starting to see, oh, okay, like no one was wrong about his talent level. He just got to get uh, acclimated. So you got an offensive line. You got a head coach that at least is going to try to win games. I mean, it, it, I didn't post it in here, but uh, last, at least last week before uh, they played the Broncos, uh, you know, Ben Baldwin of the Athletic he posted that the Lions were basically the team that was making the decisions correctly more than any other team in the league on when they need to go for right. it on fourth down. So yeah. you have that going for you, and I think for them, it's just about getting the best players you possibly can. Because, like I said, like you're probably going to have to run it back with Jared Goff for another year. Not the worst plan in the world based on how this quarterback class is looking and how the free agency class is looking uh, for Detroit. And also you have to remember that when they traded for Jared Goff, they did pick up his entire contract, uh, which is how they ended up getting one of those extra first round picks. So they right. do have to, uh, you know, eat, eat that contract for at least another year. You can't really financially responsibly get rid of him uh, after this after this season. So running back with Jared Goff, you're kind of looking at the same prospects as the Jaguars, Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, Aiden Hutchinson, Evan Neal, if you decide to go with another offensive lineman there. Uh, and, you know, you do have that second round, that second first round pick from the Rams as part of the Stafford trade. So uh, I think there's a couple good wide receiver prospects that you should target uh, in this draft. Jameson Williams from Alabama, 
I don't know how much you've seen of him, but uh, he somehow was not starting at Ohio State and has been maybe the best receiver in the country uh, this year. He, I think he's probably going to run a 4-2 uh, at the Combine. Like He is really just like a Deshaun Jackson-level game-breaking deep threat. Uh, and then, you know, there's other options like the Ohio State duo, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, uh, Drake London from USC. Uh, again, you can go after Chris Godwin. And then if you need to go af- on defense, because they, they are going to have space to, to uh, add an impact defender, I think that Carlton Davis from Buccaneers, cornerback, makes a lot of sense if they don't put the franchise tag on him. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of avenues for Detroit to get better. Just kind of, if you're a Lions fan, put that quarterback question to the back of your mind until 2023 and just kind of embrace all the opportunities that they have to upgrade their teams elsewhere. And so, uh, you know, I don't think that this is going to be a team that's like playing for a division title next year or anything, but based on what we've seen this year and based on what they can add, this team should be on the men pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, this just really feels like a situation like, you know, if they're adding some talent and, you know, if a rookie like imagine Trevor Lawrence coming into a situation where he's playing behind uh, a, a stable offensive line, a really good offensive line and uh, throwing to, you know, some wide rec- a, a, a group of wide receivers that are all picked, you know, in the 20 to 50 range. And uh, he has some reliable targets like, and it's a coaching staff that's been there a few years and sort of has things figured out. Like that's a much better situation for a rookie quarterback to come into. And it seems like that's what the lions are uh, sort of building tour. And it, you mentioned in here, if they could get Jeff Okuda back on uh, back on pace, you know, the, the CB that they picked so high, like that would be a pretty big uh, win for them too. And corners are like weird. That's, that's uh, I think maybe that's lost this year is that just the fact that Patrick Sertain the second has come in and been so good so early, like most of them take a little bit to really figure it out. Uh, and there are just up and down years. Um, so that would be huge for them. I think if, if that came through, yeah. all right, the, the jets, this is a team you knew. Well, um, I think you have an interesting take on this team, you know, like uh, Jets fans are not happy with what, uh, our pal Ben Solak wrote over at the ringer today. Oh, uh, what did, what did he write? Ben wrote that, <laughs> hey, Zach Wilson sucks right now. Uh, and, you know, I, I kind of think that if you've watched him, it's kind of hard to disagree with that. Uh, but I, I think I took a little bit, a slightly more optimistic approach uh, uh, with the Jets offseason. So, I, you know, just same profile I was running through uh, the past two teams. Coaching Saleh, Robert Saleh, I mean, it's been pretty bad. Uh, I know that. You know, they've had a lot of injuries on the defensive side of the ball. C.J. Mosley has not been his best self since the start of the season. I don't know uh, if he's banged up with an injury, but it's been pretty bad. Like, at one point when I wrote about them a few weeks ago, they were uh, almost twice – in terms of EPA, they were, like, twice as bad uh, from the next worst defense uh, during that month where they were giving up 45 points a game. So uh, I – would be definitely discouraged uh, at that fact. If I was a Jets fan, I mean, you just gave up 33 points to Gardner Minshew a couple weeks ago, uh, 30 to Taysom Hill on Sunday. Uh, it's just kind of not a great spot to be in for someone who's supposed to be, you know, one of the, the sharpest defensive minds in the league. Like I know that, uh, like I said, there's injuries, but still the floor shouldn't be uh, quite as low as it is. Uh, yeah. 
But I, the biggest problem for them moving forward is it's kind of like the Trevor Lawrence situation. You've got to get Zach Wilson trending back in the right direction. And I think that that is a, a much bigger task than I think even some Jets fans realize. Because even when you just compare him, not statistically, but just like, you know, use your eyes, like how the game looks compared to some of these other rookie quarterbacks. Um, it's 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 not it's certainly not Mac Jones, uh, who is also benefiting from playing on a better team. Uh, I don't think it's Justin Fields. Uh, I don't I don't think he's looking as you know good as even Trevor Lawrence, even though Trevor Lawrence has certainly had his own struggles. Uh, I, I I I I would be pretty concerned about where Zach Wilson is right now. But you know, you did just spend the number two pick overall on yeah, him. I mean- uh, He's had some moments like the Titans game earlier this year, so you can't right. quit on it completely. I don't, you know, I, I think, honestly, like, we are very, uh, very forthright when we're wrong about things. Uh, but, like, sometimes yeah. things are just what they are, right? Like, I, I'm sure that if we went back and, and listened to our long scouting reports on these quarterbacks, I mean, I think we did a whole show where we talked just about the top four quarterbacks in last year's draft. I'm sure that what we would have said is that Zach Wilson has the biggest spread between his floor and, and his ceiling and like yeah. that's what so he's played much more to his floor so far that doesn't mean his ceiling doesn't exist like it's way too early to say that whereas mac jones we would have said that it's just like he's not gonna fit he's not gonna be awful and he's not like we don't see much yeah. of a ceiling where he's gonna be some star slinging it around the field uh yeah, and so like can't about that. right and that's like that's what we've seen like that's that's how it's played out uh zach wilson like you said, the situation has not been great for him. He's been a little bit on the run. Uh, I, I make this joke every time we talk about him, but he was like playing at BYU, which literally <laughs> always has 25 year old offensive linemen. Like, they, yeah. like, like it's the, it's like he, he benefited from a, a team that protected him really well and then went to a team that has not protected him well. Uh, yeah. So uh, there's still a lot to learn. About, it's a bit different playing uh in the NFL with no help compared to, I mean, the schedule that BYU put together last year, obviously like it was right. pandemic impacted uh, with right. the teams they're playing, but you know, that, that maybe should have been a bigger point of emphasis. Like, Ooh, who is, what are yeah, I mean, their hardest playing? game was coastal Carolina, right? Like, right. Yeah. Like it was one of them. Uh, so it's, uh, so yeah, like I think w- with Zach Wilson, um, is that going to help getting Makai Becton back? You know, right, Becton right. is um, – he's, he's Yeah, he's a monster. He's been out most of the year. I've heard that he's trying to get back in uh, and, and get in before the end of the season, even if it's just one game. I don't really know if that's worth the time. Uh, I think for him, you just got to get healthy and get back into shape and let's boot it up next year because I right, think right. With, with this team no, – No reason to rush back. Right. The, long, the, long, the long-term view is more important here, and I, I think Becton is good enough that – if he can stay healthy, I don't, I know this is high praise, but you know, I've, we talked to Damian Woody about this. Like if he can stay healthy, that's a guy who can end up in the hall of fame. Uh, right. And, you know, next to him, you have Elijah Vera Tucker, Elijah Vera Tucker, who they took in the first round this past year, been excellent since, you know, basically the first few games of the season, once he got his feet wet, uh, he's been fantastic, probably been their best offensive lineman. So like you have some pieces there. Like I think the non- Zach Wilson picks from this past year, Jets fans should be pretty excited about. Uh, we just talked about Elijah Vera Tucker. He's been great. Elijah Moore, before he got put on IR, was really starting to break out some. Uh, the running back, Michael Carter, has been great. The cornerback, Michael Carter, uh, has been great too. So, like, they have pieces. You just kind of got to start 
putting this whole thing together and not having like any whiffs in, in free agency pretty much. So luckily for them, they got two first round picks and it looks like they're going to have their own, which is obviously going to be like a top three pick. And then uh, they're going to have uh, the one from the Seahawks to the Jamal Adams trade, which is probably going to end up, uh, you know, at, at worst, like top 12. So, uh, you know, with the first pick, I said you could look at a secondary uh, just because you just need bodies. So whether it's someone like Derek Stingley from LSU, who is one of the better cornerback prospects to come along, uh, probably since Jalen Ramsey, he makes a lot of sense. Uh, Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton as someone who can do it all in the back end makes a lot of sense because ooh, their safety play has been uh, absolutely <laughs> atrocious, uh this year. You know, they could spend one of those picks on offensive linemen, whether it's Evan Neal from Alabama uh, or Tyler Lindenbaum, who plays center at uh, Iowa, who is just, you know, I, I don't really get too hyped up about offensive line play all the time, but this kid is incredible uh, on the interior, just like a freak athlete who uh, would make a lot of sense in like their zone blocking scheme. So if you can add, you know, another young offensive line talent to Makai Becton and Elijah Vera Tucker, you know, you're, you're, you're looking pretty good for the future. And I, I know that there's been like debates recently, uh, just when you talk about like draft value, uh, on taking an offensive lineman high, but you know, I still am just a firm believer if you can put together a stud offensive lineman, that just it you're playing like a different sport than right. everyone else almost. So, yeah, you know, free agency, just throw money at guys, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, defense, offense. If you can get some secondary guys in there, that'll be a big boost. Uh, if you don't want to take uh, an interior guy early in the draft, I think a guy that makes a lot of sense is. Uh, Buck center, Ryan Jensen, he's probably one of the more underrated guys in the league just in terms of uh, not only how stout he is, but he's just a veteran guy who's seen a lot, worked with Tom Brady, multiple offensive coordinators, multiple different quarterbacks. And I think that when you look at the impact of what a veteran center can do for this offense, it, it kind of makes a lot of sense just to build it to be a more cohesive unit. So, you know, the Jets, I I don't know if they're like that much closer to – taking the first step in this rebuild than they were last year, but you know, they, they have a chance to make a big step, but the whole thing's going to reside on Zach Wilson kind of seeing the game a little bit faster and, and being more accurate with when he does see things. Yeah. Uh, man, I'm, I'm depressed just thinking about what we have to talk about right now. Uh, the Texans, your, your headline here is the Texans comma. Oh, comma. I'm sorry. Uh, that pretty much that pretty much says it all because this uh, we we could not figure out what the possible plan is here. Um, you know, David Coley was hired out of nowhere. You know, he's the what associate head coach of the Ravens. I mean, I, I live in Baltimore and uh, never heard anyone talk about David Coley's impact on the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, been coaching forever, a long time coach, like really respected, um, but just there's just not much going on with this Texans team, which. If you looked at the roster ahead of the year, you would have expected as much. Uh, we like, what's the plan? Uh, you know, and it's 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 yet to reveal itself. I guess that part of it probably hinged on being able to 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 trade Deshaun Watson and what at one time would have been the biggest trade in NFL history. It's now looking like it may never ever come to fruition. Uh, that's obviously a bad set of circumstances for everyone here making decisions, uh, you know, Nick Casario, like that's, you know, that's another story. Like this is another guy trying to, to, to get outside the shadow of Bill Belichick, right? Like how much Belichick wouldn't let him leave for a while. Like it seemed like Casario was really important to what the, 
Patriots had built. Uh, and so now we're waiting to see whether he can come up with something of his own. But man, there's just no like there's nothing happening here. There's no path forward. Davis Mills is their quarterback right now. You you project that maybe they'll just opt to run it back with him because like we've said, there's there's not that guy uh quarterback wise in in this draft that makes you really think you gotta go get him. Matt Coral, Kenny Pickett. Um, so it's, I mean, it's grim, man. It's really grim. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I, so like, yeah, let's just do the rundown of coaching quarterback and what's next because the coaching situation with David Cully, I don't even know how to like <laughs> make an evaluation on this because it's not bad. It's not it, urban Meyer bad, right? Right. Like, it, it's, it's like, cause if urban Meyer's the head coach of this team, I don't think they've even gotten close to winning a single game. Uh, so, you know, the fact that you have two wins for me. If you said the Texans had two wins with four games left to go in the season back in July, I would have said, damn, David Culley might be a savant out here. Right. Uh, I, but, I mean, this team stinks. Uh, they've had a lot of blowouts. Just, you know, looking at some of their uh, two-score-plus losses on the year. Uh, they lost to the Browns 31-21, Panthers 24-9, Bills 40-0, Colts 31-3, Cardinals 31-5, Rams 38-22, Titans 22 to 13, Colts 31 to 0, Seahawks last week 33 to 13. So this team sucks. Uh really bad. I think my favorite Texan stat is well, let me ask you this. Do you know who the leading rusher on the Texans is right now? <laughs> uh Tyrod. No. It's uh it's Mark Ingram. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And he I, hasn't played there in I, over a month, <laughs> like a month and a half. He's been on the Saints. He's I, still the leading receiver, the still the leading, leading rusher on the team. <laughs> I mean, I forgot that he even like stopped there for a minute. Like, I, yeah. I just erased that. Like, <laughs> so uh, oh. Mark Ingram's uh, 294 yards are makes him the leader on uh, this Texans roster. Uh, and there are four games left in the season. Mark Ingram is leading leading the team with 294 yards. He hasn't played there in six or seven weeks. Uh, so yeah, that's really how bad the the Texans are are that's how bad a spot they're in. So I think when you start moving towards like the quarterback situation, Davis Mills obviously gonna be back. Don't know about Tyrod Taylor. Uh, I think kind of doing the same thing with Davis Mills plus a vet. Marcus Mariota, James Winston, Tyra Taylor, bring him back. I don't know. Sure. Just do one of that. Uh, and then, you know, you move on to the draft. Literally, whoever is the top player on your board in every round, just pick that because right. this this team needs to add talent in the worst way. If it's an offensive lineman, defensive lineman, cornerback, wide receiver, just trust your evaluations, whoever you think is the best player on the board. Literally, just pop that because I, I think that this team – is in such a bad spot, like roster wise, there really isn't a bad pick that they can make because almost every pick that they can make uh, is going to be an upgrade. But you know, it, it's just tough for them because you see the you, this Texas team, like you really see the effects of not having any resources, you know, in it basically for an entire offseason because they didn't have the draft picks because right. you know Bill O'Brien, Brian. right? He when he was trying to save his job, he said screw the next guys and traded all those picks for. Uh, Laramie Tunsil and traded away Jadavion Clowney for pennies, and you know, yeah. and Tunsil's uh, been really bad this year. He's been, yeah, like, I mean, everyone he plays with the Texans right. can't yeah. blame him. Uh, 
So, you know, you, you see the effects of not having your first round picks, uh, your quarterback getting caught up in, uh, you know, some salacious uh, bad scandals. Uh, and then obviously, also like an underrated thing was they didn't have that much uh, free agency money to use either. So right. basically you're talking about a four and 12 team that lost one of the best quarterbacks in the league and then didn't add anybody of note. So right. um, it's not really surprising that they're in this situation, but it's a tough road to dig yourself out of this. So I think, you know, the, uh, but beyond just like taking the best player in the draft at whatever spot you're at, you know, part of the, the Texans offseason is going to be need like beyond the transactional stuff, just like the very human element of talking to these free agencies and free agents and convincing them that Houston is a place that is worth coming to because, you know, Players talk, uh, they they talk with each other about free agency decisions. You know, guys will be like, you know, I had this experience here with this coach or this organization. I would recommend staying away. I mean, we have already known that when Tom Coughlin was with the Jaguars, like players were having those discussions fairly openly about uh, he might want to avoid that spot if you're really trying to prolong your career. So for them, they need to convince people that the Texans are a place that is worth working at. Uh, not just for a paycheck, but that it's like an actual good environment to be in. So that's going to be a big stretch for them because the draft pick is going to have to come unless they pull like, you know, an Eli Manning or or something along those lines, like a, a John Elway, which you know, it's only really happened twice uh, in NFL history of picks of that caliber. So, you know, draft picks going to have to go to Houston, but free agents, they don't have to go anywhere they don't want to. And making sure that Houston is a place that people want to go to is high on the priority list for the Texans this offseason because uh, it's really just hard to point to too many positives that they have going for them right now. I think the biggest positive to me when I look at this is uh, I don't think Davis Mills has been quite as bad as I thought he would be. Uh, right. And, you know, to get someone that has looked functional at times at quarterback as a third-round rookie, not the worst spot to be in. Uh, so, you know, maybe that turns into something for them, but – just in general, they need to reverse the image of this franchise because it's in the gutter right now. Yeah. What is the main factor in reversing that image? Is it Cully? I mean, is that? I think it's going to have to be Cully. Um, yeah. Just because, you know, the head coach, I, I think just when you think about what draws guys to teams, you know, obviously, you know, money, location, but honestly, right. just the head coach uh, is a lot too. Like I remember uh, back in 2017 after their, you know, the Falcons lost the Super Bowl when they were trying to restock that defense with talent. They signed uh, Don Terry Poe and Poe basically in his press conference, he was like, dude, I came here because Dan Quinn, uh, you know, I talked to him and it was a great environment, great attitude. And I thought that that was somewhere that I want to continue my career. And I think when you're looking at places that are going through a tough time, just having <laughs> a leader that can put on a good face and try to reverse the image is really good. I don't really know if David Culley can do that, because like I said, they just really didn't have an opportunity this past offseason due to the financial restrictions and the Deshaun Watson situation. But, you know, they should be a little bit past that this coming year and they'll be able to make a, a real imprint on the what's going on in Houston. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Culley was such an unknown that uh, it was probably just a lot of questions like, you know, like, who is this guy? What's his what's his story? How does he treat players? What's he going to be like as a boss? Because he's just never really been in that role. Like even in college, uh, this is, is just not a guy who'd been in that position. So 
if he's set that tone in the in the locker room now and like you said they won they did win two games and there's been no it's it hasn't been nearly as messy as in Jacksonville right like this is it appears that he's treating players well uh, that you know the reputation of the team can start to change a little bit and can seem like a organization that knows what it's doing uh which you know players just they want to go somewhere where they have a chance to succeed you know which either either personally or of course they want to win but they also want to go somewhere where they know there's going to be good coaches who can help them get better and get uh you know stay in the league get more paychecks so uh if that you know that process is is underway then that's probably you're right that's the best thing the texans can hope for this offseason yeah um all right let's talk a little bit about uh, what was it? Week 14. Uh, yeah. just some of the bigger games that we were excited about and feel like we learned something. This Rams, uh, Rams Cardinals game we mentioned. I mean, it's just a great, let's just like a joyous football game. It was, it was just awesome. like so fun. You know, like uh, Aaron Donald was a complete maniac. Like I, you know, he's just a monster. He's probably, you know, certainly, uh, you know, I'm, trying to rack my brain. I mean, definitely one of the best. Hall Famer. yeah, I mean, he's, you know, one of the best football players I've ever seen. He's just, he's just amazing. Um, uh, Kyler Murray was fantastic. Almost put up like 450 combined yards. You know, I mean, he was just, he was dynamic. Yeah. He was just, uh, you know, made some mistakes. You know, like neither one of them was perfect. AJ green caught a bunch of balls. It was just fun to see AJ green doing things again. Um, just a really fun football game. And the Rams, uh, you know, we, we, I think we predicted this last week, right? We said like, Hey, this team's going to get better. Like this team's yeah. going to figure some things out. Um, just the cycle of an NFL season. Uh, we were counting them out and then here they come roaring up. Uh, and I think they were solidly back in, in the Super Bowl conversation. Now, what did you take out, take away from this one? Uh, I mean, like you said, it was just fun. It was awesome. Uh, I, I think, you know, when the NFL delivers these games where you have a bunch of stars playing on really high levels, it's, I don't know. It's just one of the best shows in sports. Uh, and it, like this game had <laughs> like everything you had. Like you said, AJ Green had a big game, something he hasn't done uh, in a while. Kyler Murray was out there running around, making plays, especially towards the end of the game. Cooper Cup continued his dominance. Ad- Odell Beckham had a big game and scored a touchdown. You had a deep ball to Van Jefferson. Sony Michelle had a nice game. Uh, Aaron Donald went crazy. Like this is uh, it was a. A somewhat high-scoring game, but I wouldn't call it a game like where the defense is just kind of rolled over. It's just really good, complete football game. You even had you know the James Carter or James not James Carter, James Connor uh, national television breakout game, which has been a lot of fun to track. Uh, right. You know, just based on what you know about his career, battling cancer stuff like yeah, that. Him so, and Darnold were college teammates, right? I mean, they're yeah, they were really yeah, back. So, yeah, and bringing up Nate again, uh, buddy Nate Tice. He was a GA for. Pittsburgh when James Conner was there. So, you know, you just got all these ties, you know, just it, it just it was a feel good right. game. It was fun. Right. Uh, and then, you, you know, you got to see the Rams kind of marching their way back up. Uh, not really that surprising when you look at how many stars they have on their team. Uh, and I, I just think that this this version of the Rams team where, you know, they're carving up one of the best defenses in the league uh, is a really scary side to behold. I. Uh, I haven't updated the playoff rankings yet because I took Monday off, so I'll get that out tomorrow. Uh, but they're still locked in at that five seed, getting ready to pace on the Cowboys, which seems like an awesome game to me. And I really hope that that stays, uh, like those playoff seeds stay locked in because I would love to see Cowboys Rams in the first round of playoffs. Yeah, that would be great. That would be a really fun game. 
Um, yeah, and I felt like this, you know, it's Monday night football too. So it's like the teams are locked in and it's, it's you know, AFC or NFC West uh, opponents. So you know, like, there was a lot of reasons for them to be locked in. I feel like the next game uh, that I want to talk about, the Bucks winning in overtime, 33-27. Uh, like, it's, it's a good football game, too. It was a fun football game. It was back and forth. But it felt like they, like neither one of these teams is, like, super focused right now. Like, I don't I don't know what it is about it. Uh, it just felt like, you know, obviously the, the Bucks jumped out and, like, the Bills seemed surprised and they came back. Um, just, like, I, I think with the Bucks in particular, like, you know, they brought back the same guys. Um, there hasn't been a whole lot of change. Um, they, they did add Brashad Perryman, and he ended up getting the big touchdown to win the game. Uh, it's just unfair that the Bucks like, it's like uh, when I used to, like, coach flag football, I would I would not throw to the one kid uh, for, like, four or five plays, and then I would throw to him on the next play because, like, the defense had forgot about him. That's, like, what happened yeah. with Rashad Perryman. They were just like, yeah, we're gonna, uh, I forgot about him. Um, yeah, and you know, I, I always forget how fast Rashad is, too. Yeah, he's fast as can be, man. He can't catch the football. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, uh, so you throw a short pass to him and let him run, and it works. Um, but, you know, I think the Bucks, like I think the fans are used to it. They're sort of like, okay, this this team is good. We know this team's good. They did it in the playoffs last year. We we feel pretty confident they they can turn it on when they need to. Um, the Bills, however, you know, I don't know what I'm feeling right now from a Bills fan. Uh, I probably feel like I have a hurt back because I jumped on a table over the weekend. But like, I don't know how I feel about this football. Team. It's, uh, I like I still tend to think that they're one of the better teams in the league and you know they've 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 had a pretty tough schedule as of late i mean right. losing it's to much the jaguars, easier coming up like they have yeah. a super easy schedule going into the playoffs yeah uh losing to the jaguars is obviously unacceptable uh but they've played the, their last four games have been the colts saints patriots bucks you know that's pretty tough especially right. when you think about how uh, how good the Colts have been recently. I know they, they blew kind of blew the Saints out on Thanksgiving, but uh, we know the Patriots and the Bucks are arguably the two best teams uh, in the league or, or, you know, at least in that elite class. So I, I still, you know, would be a little optimistic about them obviously like still making the playoffs because like you said, to close the season, they go Panthers, Patriots, Falcons, Jets. You right. should at minimum go three and three, one. Three wins, right? Yeah, that's a, like three locked wins, uh, and you're going to need to start everybody that week 17 game because I'm not sure if they're going to have uh, the playoff or the week 18 game, excuse me, uh, because I don't think they're going to have the playoffs uh, locked in by then. So you know, it, it's definitely possible that they can go on a four game winning streak, make it into the playoffs at 11 six. Maybe you got a pretty decent seed, and uh, you're feeling good uh, about your chances there, but. They've they've had a pretty tough schedule as of late. I think that 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 Buccaneers loss was uh, worse than the Patriots loss, just because you're like playing in more uh, stable weather uh, instances. But to give up like 113 yards of Fournette on the ground, get carved up through the air, that's below the standards that this Bills defense has put together. But you know, we'll get a chance to see moving forward and over the next couple of weeks whether that was you know, a real, oh no, you know, this defense isn't as good as we thought, or right. if it's just kind of a blip on the radar for them uh, against an offense. Like we just spent the early part of the podcast talking about how good Byron Leftwich is and that Buccaneers offense. So 
it's not really surprising that this Buccaneers offense would carve through someone, but I think you would hope if you're a Bills fan, they could stand up a little bit better uh, than that to one of the best offenses uh, in the league if your defense is going to continue to perform as they have all season. Yeah. Uh, San Francisco 26, Cincinnati 23. Uh, last week, we talked about the 49ers as being one of the teams from sort of the middle of the league that we thought could make a run. And I think you see why in this game, Uh, you know, like certainly not a super, you know, it's not the most impressive win. Uh, Cincinnati has its flaws. Uh, It's been pretty good at different points this year, but like this 49ers team gets it, you know, they've been in tough playoff uh, situations before and George Kittle was really good. Like, I'm not even sure when the last time we really saw a vintage George Kittle. It's been a while like this, but, uh, he was just fantastic. Um, so, you know, it, it's a, I think it's another team that you just look at and it, going into that NFC sort of jumble that, uh, you know, you feel good about this team knowing how to win. Yep. And uh, they get a date with the Falcons on Sunday, uh, which, you know, should be another pretty easy, we- uh, pretty, pretty wheezy, uh, pretty easy win for them. Uh, but, you know, the Falcons did beat the the Bucks or not the Bucks, the 49ers. I think the year they went to the Super Bowl, uh, really randomly won in like a last second touchdown to Julio Jones. So, you know, weird stuff happens in the NFL. Uh, but I think that this should be a pretty, uh, pretty smooth game for uh, the 49ers as they try to ramp up their, uh, you know, their playoff hopes. But I think what's interesting about the 49ers recently is that Jimmy G has kind of started to get back into the flow of things yeah. and looking yeah. like a, a competent starter. I don't know how far this gets you in, into the playoffs or how, how deep of a run you can go on. But uh, he's definitely picked up his play uh, over the past few weeks. I think that's definitely worth noting because we've slandered him a lot on the show. But, <laughs> that's true. That's yeah, true. but, you know, he's, he, he's, he's earned some praise over the past few weeks. He's peak, he's peak Jimmy G. He's, he's getting the throws put there for him, and he's making them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Bengals, like this feels, I think we've said this before, it feels like a team that's a year away from really being contention. But, and I I think that's kind of, that's my read on this team right now. It's just things are sort of slowing down uh, as far as Burrow and uh, Chase and just sort of their, they're just sort of their development is, it's tough to do, right? Like it's tough to keep that moving forward in over the course of a long NFL season. Yeah. Um, Wait, hold on. You cut out there at the at the, uh, the end real quick. Uh, just these, you know, young players sort of trying to progress during a season. Uh, it's, you know, I think that's what we're seeing. And like you've yeah. had doubts about Zach Taylor for a while too as a coach. But like this is a guy who, unlike Kyle Shanahan, has never pushed his team uh, deep into the playoffs. And it just it just feels like this like the momentum on the Bengals has stalled a little bit. Yeah, it has. Um... And I, I think you're kind of starting to see they're they're not, you know, the most talented team out there. Uh, the two and four in their past six games, uh, you know, they're coming off a game where two weeks ago they got kind of blown out by the Chargers or had the game get away from them late. So, you know, I, I think you're you're seeing the limitations of this Bengals team and where they still got to get better. The offensive line uh, is still a problem, but you know, you're still starting out a place next year where you go into the offseason like, all right, well, we got a quarterback. We got two stud receivers with, or maybe even three with T Higgins, Chase and Boyd. Uh, You know, I personally would be looking at other options than Zach Taylor because I don't think he's done a great job uh, maximizing this, but you know, we also know Mike Brown (laughs) is not a guy who's going to pay someone to not coach for him. Uh, Right. So I, I I would be highly 
I would be absolutely stunned if Zach Taylor is not the coach next year, even though I think that they can uh, definitely squeeze more of this unit. But like you said, they're a young team. Uh, they're learning how to play together. Uh, and, you know, I, I think next year is the year that the Bengals really start to pop because, I, you know, I thought that this year, obviously they have a winning record and uh, they played well for a lot of the season. But to me, they're almost like a year ahead of schedule from uh, – where they need to be just in terms of record. Like, I, I don't know. I don't think that this is a team that goes in like a playoff run or wins a bunch of games or anything like that. But uh, they, they they have the building blocks to be something special, you know, in the very, very near future, at least. Yeah. Uh, Dallas 27, Washington football team 20. You know, mostly what I'm interested in here is uh, what, why is the Cowboys offense not working? Uh, you know, like we've, uh, I think, Probably the narrative coming in the year is like, is this defense going to be good enough? You know, we were wondering about Dak Prescott returning from a gruesome injury and how could it be effective? And we saw pretty early on that he was effective. Um, and the defense, you know, Micah Parsons is potentially the defensive player of the year, let alone rookie of the year. Um, yeah. I mean, he's just he's just a monster and he's very dynamic. I mean, they're moving him all over the field. He's doing everything they ask him to do. Like, it's a pretty good defense uh, with with him going. Randy Gregory's playing well. Um, but the offense just, there's something not working about this offense, uh, you know, without, without Pollard, uh, this in, in this game. And I think the offensive line was decimated too by injury. And then Leal Collins, I think got uh, ejected. Um, so, you know, there was, it was a little messy, but the offense just for whatever reason hasn't clicked. And I mean, it's a loaded offense. The, the roster is just like, this, this is a team that should be, be putting up a lot of points. Yeah. Uh, they should, but they just, you know, I don't know, just to take some Stephen A. uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. Bring the Stephen A. They they just kind of do this every once in a while, you know? (laughs) Like, uh, I wouldn't, I won't go on to record to say like they're the Falcons or anything, but uh, they just have stretches where it's just not clicking for them in the way that it needs to. Like, Dak Prescott, uh, he had a a QBR, ESPN QBR, which goes on scale from zero to 100 of Mm -hmm. 9.9 on Sunday. Not his best effort, but, you know, luckily uh, Taylor Heineke had a QBR 4.9 and (laughs) Kyle Allen had a QBR 5.8. So, you know, Dak had a a QBR of 9.9 and he was still by far the best quarterback (laughs) on the field that day. So, you know, sometimes this game just happened. A win is a win uh, in terms of like your playoff chances. But I, I definitely think that, one, we know Dak Prescott and the Cowboys office can play better than this uh, because they have been for the vast majority of the season. This was just kind of a, a hiccup for them. Uh, and, you know, I, I kind of do expect them to get that turnaround uh, pretty quickly. And once they get to the playoffs, they're probably going to be hosting the home game because uh, the NFC East is an absolute dumpster fire this year. And they're basically about to clinch this division in the next two or three weeks. Uh, so, you know, that that will definitely help them. Uh, come playoff time, but I think the reason to stay optimistic if you're a Cowboys fan is just we've seen this team be very good this season. Uh, we've seen them put up together explosive games. This just wasn't their day, and you know the other team gets paid to play football too. So uh, I, I wouldn't be you know too down in the dumps over the offense kind of hitting the hitting a wall of the past few weeks. Yeah. Uh, all right. The Browns beat the Ravens 24, 22 uh, Ravens lose Lamar barely. Jackson. <laughs> yeah. Uh, barely lose Lamar Jackson pretty early on. And um, you know, he's, as we've talked about on the show, he's not been fantastic uh, at times this year. You know, who's to blame for that is 
you know, up for some debate. I think we certainly, I mean, the offense is just bad. Alejandro Villanueva has just been terrible. Terrible. Um, You know, just no, I mean, just dangerous to have on the field at times, (laughs) Uh, you know. So there's there's a lot going on here, but I'm interested in this race. And I don't think that either of us think that either of these teams uh, will do much, but you know, it's the playoffs. Who, who, who knows? Um, the ESPN's FPI has uh, the the chance for the Ravens to win this division at 50.6. Uh, they're eight and five. I think both the Browns and Bengals are seven and six. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, Ravens still have a little bit of cushion, but it is, uh, you know, it's going to be really tough. And they have the, the, the big thing is the Ravens have the Packers coming up. So, yeah, um, that's, it's going to be a tough one, especially if Lamar can't go. Right, right. If if and that would be a third straight loss for that team. So it's, uh, you know, that would be tough. Yeah, um, I, I I would be a little dubious about Lamar playing on Sunday because, uh, well, well, the Ravens said he's day to day right now, but they also just signed Josh Johnson off of the Jets practice oh. squad. So, oh yeah, um, that's, that's that's a sign not, right there. Yeah, it's that's, probably not a great sign that Lamar's going to suit up on Sunday. Uh. And honestly, with, with the Ravens, I know it's tough when you're sitting at eight and five, but I I think you need to know uh, this probably ain't going anywhere. Right, uh, it's too banged up. Like the week before, you lose Lamar Jackson, lose Marlon Humphrey. I I really can't remember a team having this oh many players gosh. with like yeah. star injuries with season any injuries. Uh, I mean, Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, Ronnie Stanley. J.K. Dobbins, Edwards, uh, it's it's crazy. I I think Kalias Campbell even got hurt uh, last week too. I'm not sure if you finished the game. So there, Bateman missed like the first. Bateman got hurt too. Uh, I mean, it was a while. They still haven't gotten Nick Boyle back. I mean, it's just been crazy. So I don't know if you shut Lamar down, but I think it's okay to be a little bit honest with yourself and say we might. Might not rush him back. Yeah. yeah, we don't need to rush this back because I think as a team we aren't winning the Super Bowl this year. And but. and Hunley was pretty. I mean, he was fine. Like, he was fine. I mean, he, he he almost won the game for them uh, right. at the end. But you know, they got they got the onside kickback, and then Greg Roman just kind of Greg Roman it up for the last four plays of the game. Where I mean, they got screwed by uh, a penalty, but on the last play of the game, on like fourth and six, you you got a two yard slant. Like I don't I don't know I don't know if it's and that's just kind of the stuff that we've been talking about all year with the Ravens offense where uh, it's been it's been tough for them to get going because their offensive coordinator is a little bit outdated. Yeah, it's uh, there's the temperature is rising a little bit here in Baltimore on that as, as yeah. I think it probably should be. It's just it's I, I would be interested uh, to to study. You mentioned it that like Greg Roman has done a good job of putting quarterbacks that are stereotypically quote-unquote running quarterbacks i mean he did it with kaepernick yeah. and now he's done with it and putting them in a in a good position at first uh, but what he has not done is figured out a way to evolve those offenses so that those quarterbacks are able to take the next step um it, yeah you know in, in in many ways he's sort of held them back i think yeah um, but- greg greg's interesting because you know you talk about these guys who these these coaches that change the game I think Greg, like, obviously has his place because he has given a spot to players who normally wouldn't have gotten a shot in the a, a shot in the past to start. Right. Uh, you know, got guys like Colin Kaepernick, Tyrod Taylor, Lamar Jackson. Like, he's kind of, I would like, I don't want to say like totally opened the door, but he's showed 
at least other coaches that this type of offense is not only palatable, but can be really successful. But I think Greg is a little bit too dependent on like the players he has where, you know, once guys start dropping, he's not someone who has a whole lot of answers for you on how to, mm. how to fix this. But the base of it is usually, especially the run game stuff, is usually pretty solid. But, you know, I, I think the way we should, we should look at Greg Roman is he has, to me at least, a vastly important place in this era of football, but it's time for the Ravens to move on and yeah. find someone who can take this to the next level. Yeah. All right. I want to close out the show uh, with a surprise question. I never tell you guys should all know that I never tell Chuck what, what I'm about to ask at the end of the show. I just want his his gut reaction to these things. Um, and everybody saw this Justin Herbert throw against the Giants. Uh, obviously, the Giants are burning trash. Uh, so it is what it is. But uh, Herbert sort of rolls right. Um, heaves the ball. I mean, first of all, it doesn't even have Keenan Allen in this game. Uh, Allen missed the game. You know, so Herbert's sort of operating on, on a diminished offense already. Uh, he's he's looking downfield, and Jalen Guyton is running between two guys. I mean, pretty well covered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <laughs> Herbert throws the ball. It travels 63.8 yards in the air. That's the second longest completion in the NFL this season. Um, you know, watching the dots on this play, the, the NFL next-gen dots, is just uh, like – it's astounding. Uh, yeah. This guy's arm is just insane. So my question to you is if you were to build, you know, there's an expansion draft or something, you get the first pick, you get to build your NFL team around one quarterback. Who is it? Cause Patrick Mahomes is only 26. Yeah. Uh, Lamar Jackson's a former MVP. Uh, this guy's out there. Dak Prescott's been really good at times. Um, you know, there's, is an interesting group of, you know, you'd, you'd almost certainly go young. I mean, you could even, yeah. there's probably a case to be made for Trevor Lawrence. Or Tom uh, Brady. Right. <laughs> I mean, that guy, he's got another 15 years. But. Yeah, seriously, the way he's playing. <laughs> uh, I, I I still think I would go Mahomes, but, you know, I, I and a couple of my buddies who I think are very smart have said they think that Herbert is the best quarterback in the league. I, I, I can't fight really against that, uh, but I would still go with, uh, Mahomes, just because I, I I've seen it for longer. Um, you know, I, I like I've said a million times. I know that this year has not been great for them, uh, but we kind of need to remember like the three year stretch that Patrick Mahomes just uh, came off of, where he was you know for the past three years from 2018 through 2020, uh, completed 66 percent of his passes, 8.4 yards per attempt, 109.3 passer rating. Uh, through an interception of just 1.4% of his attempts. Like, that guy is uh, definitely still in there somewhere, and we've seen glimpses of it uh, this year. So uh, I'm going to take the guy who won the MVP literally his first year. Well, I guess Lamar did that too. But, uh, you know, first full year as a starter, Mahomes come in, lights the league on fire, 50 touchdowns. I still am going to roll with that guy. All right. I like it. I like it. All right. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We appreciate it. Find us on Twitter, at Chris Corman, at 4 I have one, th- one thing to say before we get off. Oh, wow. Look at this. Uh, Jump it's, in. it's a somber note, but just rest in peace to uh, DT, Demarius Thomas. Oh, uh, yeah, man. That's... Tragically passed away last week uh, at the age of 33. I remember when I first started covering the Jets for the Daily News. Uh, you know, it's it's just, it's this was before the COVID year. Like, right. it's a little scary when you haven't, you know, because I, I, honestly, like, I had no real experience before, like, interviewing people. 
are, I mean, athletes like that in person. So to kind of get that job and hop into a locker room with a bunch of NFL stars was uh, pretty daunting, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, but, you know, I remember I had to ask him a story, a question about a story. Uh, and, you know, usually like when you get into these locker rooms, a lot of guys will just brush you off or give you like a sense or two. And I had a question mm-hmm. about how the only thing, basically the only thing about Adam's case is offense that was working that year was on their first drives, they were like the best offense in the league. But beyond that, they were like all time bad. Uh, so I asked Demarius and Sam about like, you know, how does this happen? Sam didn't really give me anything. But, you know, Demarius was literally about to walk out the locker room and go home. And then I asked him this question. He just sat down and talked to me for like 15 minutes. Uh, just yeah, every story you hear about him. Great dude. I uh, I will forever appreciate him making me feel like I belonged in that Jets locker room. And uh, I was really, really hurt uh, to hear that he had passed away last week because just a really good dude. Uh, made my life a lot easier, made a lot of people's lives a lot easier. So uh, yeah. to hear that he had passed away at such a young age, especially when he was just about to like get to experience like all the money he had earned in the NFL was uh, was really right. sad. Yeah. I mean, the this league uh, churns through people like, you know, just it's it's unfathomable how many people come through football. And uh, I'm working on a story now about some players who, you know, what they've gone through after the game. And it's it's tough on on most of them. You know, it's not it's not easy by any stretch uh, because the game is is so physical and so difficult. Um, So, you know, I hope we all remember that as we're watching these games that are amazing and that we're talking about that. Yeah. uh, On the other side, it can be. It, it can be really difficult and those players need support. So, yep. Uh, all right. Well, we will be back. I think we're going to be back tomorrow. Probably pick some games. Yep. Um, I don't know what our schedule will be next week. We'll probably do some, we'll do some podcasting in between getting ready for the holidays, but uh, you know, oh, we'll be around. God. Christmas is next week. It's uh, yeah, it's next. Is it Saturday? I think yeah, it's next, Saturday. It's in 10 days. Holy crap. I need to do some shopping. Yeah. Get out, get out there and do some, do some consumption, man. Get, yep. get after it. Uh, All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. And we will talk to you next time. Take care. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. 